My name is Richard Perez. I, my background is mechanical engineering from UCT. Um, I then went off and did a master's in industrial design engineering, which basically married the worlds of mechanical design and industrial design. And that exposed me to um, the world of product development, and specifically consumer product development and a little bit of industrial product development. So most of my experience I've had in design has been around sort of consumer-related products rather than engineering or, or military. Um, since then, I've been working in Cape Town um, for with three other partners, and we're a company of about six or seven designers, and we focus on product development. And recently, I've uh, completed, same as Carl Kiesa, executive MBA at um, the GSB, which married the worlds of product design and innovation and brought in the whole side of systems thinking, which is something I'd never really been exposed to, but realized that it's actually something we do a lot of in, in the industry that I'm in. So the talk I'm going to do today really is just to show not really systems engineering. I don't know that much about systems engineering. Um, I bring in experts like Francois when we need that done in, in projects. Um, but what we focus a lot on is on the softer side of design, and there we use a lot of the soft system uh, methodologies, soft system thinking methodologies. And um, because we are predominantly a creative type consultancy, um, we have to deal with a lot of people's perceptions and ideas and perspectives um, and try and take the whole subjectivity of a product and create a object of something at the end of the day that everybody is happy and agrees that that's essentially what we, what they saw in the first place. Um, innovation. That's essentially why we exist as a company. Um, our clients are continuously evolving. They're continuously developing new products. Um, they're continuously competing within their own market, um, and they come to us for um, a competitive edge from a design, from an innovation side, from a look and a feel, from the aesthetics of a product. Um, generally speaking, our clients will be experts in their field. So if it's telecommunications, they'll be experts in that field, and they'll be coming to us um, for something slightly different relative to their competitors, that's expertise that they may not necessarily have in-house. Um, and that's where the creative the industrial designers come in, into play. We don't do any electronic design in-house. Uh, most of our clients are, have that expertise. Um, we're really involved more in packaging the product um, and doing an element of the mechanical design and the user experience of that product. That's a very strong element of, of what we, we bring to the, to the table. So our focus is not necessarily packaging the technology, but it's how does the user interact with this piece of technology? How, how do they open the panel to access the keys? How do they service it? Um, how do they carry it? How do they um, put it down in their desk and, and position it? All those sort of soft, human-centric um, issues. Just a little bit, quick background of the sorts of things we do. Telecommunications, um, done a number of products. Um, worked on a few with Paul. Um, and um, once again, a lot of ergonomics, um, a lot of audio issues. Um, we don't really get involved in the detailed electronic design, but we'll just get involved in the packaging of it. Um, we do health and medical products. Obviously, it's a very strong human-centric 
um, aspect to to those sort of products. Um, very strict uh, design requirements from um, ISO standards, BS standards that we, that we from mechanical design obviously have to adhere to. But then there's a lot of user centric issues. Um, the baby monitor in the bottom corner here is, is quite a recent product, um, but there's a whole lot of safety issues associated with products like that. Um, you know, choking factors for babies, safety factors that they can't switch it off on their own, um, the types of materials you use and things like that. So we, we do get involved at a technical level, but predominantly we're more involved in, in, the, in the packaging um, and look and feel and the usability of the product. Uh, brand design, obviously being a creative industry, creative business, we, we, we translate a lot of companies' brands into three-dimensional products. Um, we do, yeah. This, no, this is, this is a, this is a laryngoscope. Um, basically, you look down, it's looking down the throat of a patient, yeah. Um, mushroom. Yes, they, we, yes, we worked, um, it was originally with Harmed or Harwell, and then the, when they, that was a long time ago, then, uh, Dr., I forgot his name now, um, he started up Mushroom afterwards, and they continued to develop it, but we started a long time ago, we started the initial, and I'm not sure if they ever took it to market. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's 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 a, one of those typical products that's been a long, around for a very long time. It's got a lot of, uh, typically those products, I don't know if you know much about a laryngoscope, but it's it's essentially a, um, I think it's an aluminium die cast, but it's it's a very mechanical type product. And a lot of people, especially for children, look at this thing coming towards them with the doctor and they get, you know, they run 100 miles. So the idea was to make a product which aesthetically was a bit more pleasing, but also that the lens, there's a light which runs basically through the lens, through the, the, the blade and lights the back of the throat and that was now that could now be disposable. So you could take it off and throw it away and put a new one on rather than having to send the other one to an autoclave or something like that. So um, all the sort of user-centric issues would come into the design of that product. Um, uh, design with Africa, we, you know, we look at appropriate technology, appropriate products. Uh, once again, very strong user-centric issues that, that we have to look at from a, from a design side. Um, we're getting more involved in GUI interface design. Once again, also very much on the soft side of design, um, user experience of, of interfacing with software, um, the ease of it, the, um, the the logic behind navigating through menus. Something I mean, Apple obviously have done very well, um, but we've got more involved in developing the entire system. So you're looking at an entire kiosk and how you approach the kiosk and how you interact with it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <clears throat> Um, we do a lot of industrial goods. Um, once again, packaging technology, which our clients generally have developed, um, but there's a whole lot of soft user-centric issues around that, uh, which we need to adhere to. And then, like any old good design consultancy, we do a little bit of furniture on the side. Um, I think most industrial designers have a, a little portfolio of furniture. And then we do conceptual design um, as well. Um, a little bit on innovation. Um, let's pull these down. We work in a space where a client will come to us for fresh ideas. And we essentially, our clients will vary from marketing people right across to uh, engineers and, and doctors. So we have to deal with a, a, quite a wide spectrum of personalities and perspe perspectives. And we 
They come to us basically because they see us as a consultancy that can explore for them at the early phases of a design project. Um, so we take them down a, a path, an innovation path, which, which looks very much at exploration and discovery. Um, now, often in most projects, exploration discovery is not something you want to do because you don't know where it's going to go, you don't know how long it's going to be, you don't even know if you're going to come to an answer that's going to work. Um, it's generally high risk. But we have to, in our industry, it's, it's one of the things that we have to offer our clients. So we, we go through this innovation process in a very careful way, and I'll, I'll, I'll show you a little bit more detail now. Um, but when you're dealing with the likes of uh, a project team, and say there's an accountant on that project team, you have to manage them and their expectations of innovation because they, because of their worry that projects can from time and cost perspective can, can um, run away. You've got to understand their concerns, but also from a creative side, you've got to be able to push the barrier. And it's about marrying all these worlds into, into one. So we have a, an innovation process that we follow. Um, and it's, this is really where the soft, the systems thinking process is coming, because there's a lot of systems thinking tools which deals with diversity and complexity and deals with different people's pers perspectives of the same issue. And, we work with these. We work with all these perspectives to try and come up with a common understanding which we can then all move forward um, into the project. And it's very important at the early stages in this innovation phase to get all this buy-in from all these stakeholders. Um, so a couple of concepts around innovation. It's obviously an exploration and discovery process. It requires divergent thinking as opposed to convergent thinking. A lot of... Uh, Typical engineering thinking is very convergent. You want to come to an answer, um, and the answer generally must be right, um, whereas innovation is divergent, and it can scare the hell out of some people just to keep going wider and wider and wider, but we have to allow that process to happen. Um, innovation requires diversity in the team, so we like to bring in the accountants and the marketing people and the engineers and the consumer and, and, and to really throw them into the pot to try and come up with as many ideas as we can. Um, innovation is obviously, it's got a lot of relational complexities, which one is defines hard to, to, um, to map out. It's uncertain and risky, and there's this thing, this whole subject of uncertainty management. Some people can deal with uncertainty, some people can't deal with uncertainty. Um, uncertainty generally leads to anxiety, and there's a whole psycho psychological side of, of that. But being able to innovate requires somebody to have... A, a level head and a, a level of peacefulness with uncertainty. And you have to allow that uncertainty to almost exist throughout the entire project, um, but obviously manage it, manage the risks associated with that. Innovation, difficult to benchmark and measure. Some people measure it with the number of patents that you would, um, you may, may file from the process. Some people actually want to put a figure on innovation. This is return on investment for X number of hours and time spent. Um, so different companies and different people have different ways of measuring innovation. Um, and then probably one of the biggest things is, is the need for abductive logic. A lot of logic is the inductive and deductive, whereas abductive is what it could be. In other words, I have no proof. It's a gut feel. I think this is a route that we're going to go. Now, that's often very difficult to um, argue in a room full of engineers and accountants because they want to know the proof, why, where's the data that you are going to go that route. But a lot of the time in innovation, you've got to take that 
leap of faith to say, I think there's something there. Let's go and, and, and explore and see what we can find out. When we talk about innovation, we talk about uh, innovation value chain, which is really where innovation um, succeeds. Innovation isn't just the idea. That's generally the sort of the inventiveness of, of the process. We work with innovation value chain, which is right from the beginning, from exploration right through to exploitation. Now, you can imagine throughout that entire chain, there is a myriad of types of people and perspectives that you're going to come across. And you need buy-in right the way through. It's no good just having a uh, come up with a fantastic idea and then it dies at an operations level or a manufacturing level because the operations um, manager or production manager actually just doesn't want to deal with this sort of uh, this sort of innovative product. So it's very important to get buy-in throughout the entire chain, and that's very much where the systems thinking, from our perspective, comes in. Um, the application for systems thinking for us then is the entire chain, um, predominantly at conceptualization level when you're trying to get all the stakeholders in. Um, and I'll show you a slide just now um, about trying to get everybody's idea onto the table and then a common, common understanding of that idea. Um, and when you're working with a mixture of convergent thinkers and divergent thinkers, because most designers are divergent thinkers, um, you really have to use certain tools and systems in order to get a, a common understanding. <clears throat> in the world of new product development, which is essentially where we exist as a company, we have what we call we call them hard and soft design constraints. The hard constraints are the ones obviously you can measure. The engineers, those are the ones the engineers love to, to see. A keyboard snap-click ratio, we can measure it so that we know what it is. But a soft on the same on the same point, a soft design issue would be somebody pushing that key and saying, "Yeah, no, I think this is this feels okay for me." And you hand it to the next person, he says, "No, this is not right for me." Um, soft issues: color, product color, white, black, green. Everybody sees color differently. If it's red, everybody sees the red slightly differently. So we deal with those sort of uh, very difficult to measure issues. Um, form. Some people love Apple. Some people hate Apple. Uh, some people love BMW. Some people love Kia. It's, it's all those soft issues. It's brand. It's perception. It's marketing. All those sort of things we have to throw into our design process um, and mix in with, obviously, the hard engineering facts, materials, environmental requirements, product life cycle, um, Design for manufacture, design for assembly, all those sort of things. So, so our our pot of, of design really deals with a lot of um, different issues, which we find from a systems thinking perspective, we've we um, can deal with those in, in a complex way. And I'll show you a few of the tools that we use, but just now. Um, so, if you look at the perspectives, we have customers that want. Improved product performance, functionality, and better value. The expectation always have to meet your customer's expectation. We have the marketing people that want competitive edge, so we need to understand what their needs are and plug that into the product. We have the production engineers that want something, a black box with one screw. In fact, no screw, just clip it together. We have the technologists that want to just push the barrier on, 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 on new technology. Um, the accountants that don't want to spend a cent on anything. And that's the world that we deal with. And how do you, you know, how do you manage all that? Um, you've got, at the end of the day, you've got a predetermined time frame to get this product out, and there's obviously a predetermined budget. So you've got to make sure that you address all these stakeholders' needs, because if you if you exclude one of them, um, the project can actually be very difficult to make it successful at the end of the day, because you can reach a point and it'll actually just stop dead, because of one one stakeholder will be a gatekeeper in the process and right there and then 
um, the cost, well, time, basically time delays, you miss your opportunity in the market, and then you might, might as well not really have started. So a little, um, a few graphics on multiple perspectives of reality. Because uh, at the end of the day, you're all designing the same thing. So you're all talking about the same product around the table, but obviously you've got all these different views and perspectives of it. So you, the, the key is to understand that, A, we're all looking at the same thing, but B, everybody's got a perspective, and every perspective is actually right. Because in their mind, what they envisage this product could be or couldn't be um, is as real as the person sitting next to them. So very briefly... <clears throat> If we're designing a tree, um, a tree with some sort of swing, this is how a customer might have explained it. That's how the project leader understood what the customer um, explained. Um, that's how the analyst described it. That's how the programmer wrote it. That's how the business consultant described it, and so on and so on. And basically what you land up with is, in the case here, of eight, ten different, completely different perspectives of the same thing. And ultimately, in the day, you still have to come up with this product, this thing which is going to satisfy all these people's needs. And we use, although we don't actually specifically use soft system methodology tools, um, we draw on a lot of their principles to try and get that common understanding. And it's not just a text document. It's graphic. It's uh, video. It's samples. It's um, I mean, architects have material boards that they use so everybody can get a feel of when they talk about dark wood, exactly what they mean by dark wood. Um, and it's, bring, so it's bringing all those perceptions to, <clears throat> to reality. Um, if we look at systems thinking and how we use it and its characteristics which assist us, it deals with complexity. We deal with a lot of complexity in our environment, the soft and hard issues in design. Um, it deals with change. The project changes throughout its life cycle. Um, and people come and go, the market moves, there are change requests that come in, so we have to deal with that as we go through the process. Um, it identifies the causal relationships and the cause and effects that might happen in, that, in the system um, whilst developing that product. Um, obviously, it's a holistic thinking, very much an important thing to, come, to, to pull in all the stakeholders around a, a product, especially when there's soft issues and um, people's perspectives it, at play. Um, there's, there's a saying that's from, from a lot of design consultants that, that design is too important to be left up to the designer where it's, you've got to, everybody needs to design the product. If you want to have, be a successful product, the designer actually just lands up being the facilitator of the process. Um, and he'll go out there and get this holistic view. What does the CEO want? What does the consumer want? What does the production guy want? And then he'll put it all together and try and work out what it is and then present, say, right, I think this is what everybody's talking about. Um, Deals with diversity, different perspectives, assumptions, and perceptions, like I just mentioned. Um, it uses methodologies. <coughs> Systems thinking has methodologies, which I'll quickly show you a few now, um, which help us to uncover all these these issues. And it's systemic and expansive views, which is very important. That's a di divergent thinking. It enables us to go divergent. It enables us to basically, at the bottom, caters for creativity. Um, if... In our industry, if we didn't allow creativity to happen amongst everybody, um, we wouldn't be innovative, and therefore we would just be doing the same old, same old product at the end of the day. Um, just a, a few systems thinking methodologies and tools which can be used, and they don't, they're not necessarily just used in our industry. They can be used in any situation. Um, this is actually an excerpt from a book um, by Michael Jackson, 
and not not the singer. Um, essentially, you have a few purposes that you may be trying to achieve in, in your process. Um, and in product development, those are all very relevant. Essentially, goal-seeking and viability. We want to develop a product. This is actually going to be a viable product at the end of the day. We're going to spend six months, a couple of million rand developing. Is it actually going to be useful for, for what we want to have? Um, and there's hard systems thinking, which is very much the traditional sort of modeling it. We can build a com computational model, and we can probably get a 99% accuracy of what this thing is going to be. Um, organizational cybernetics is something where you can just model. It's a great diagnostics tool to see if what we're going to build, is it actually going to um, work at the end of the day as well. As we move down the purpose ladder, we start to move into the more the softer spaces, so the more the space where it's more difficult to measure. It's more about people's perceptions. It's more about people's opinion, um, all of which are completely valid. And um, as you move down, you start to also, I would say, move into more of a space which allows innovation to happen, um, a creative space where you can ask for somebody's opinion and there may actually be some value um, which everybody can, can learn from that as opposed to shutting them down and saying, no, it'll never work, we're not interested. Um, exploring purpose, um, that's where the soft system methodology comes in. This is probably the one that, 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 that we use the most um, in our industry, um, which deals with all the softer issues in design, um, the ones that are difficult to measure. Um, a lot of the issues that we deal with in, in our industry is ethics. Um, we develop in a product. Um, not so much the, the, the actual application of the product, but actually the where is the product made, how is it made, where the materials come from, um, carbon footprint, for example, of an iPhone, things like that. Um, do we actually make it in South Africa? Do we try and use local labor content? Do we use local materials, things like that? Um, so there's there's tools there which one can, can use. Um, and then lastly, promoting diversity, which is really, really where the, the innovation comes in, which is about getting multiple perspectives, multiple input, uh, building a team which will fight. In fact, if you put a team together which is fight, you're going to get innovation. If you put a team of people together that all talk the same and they all get on with each other, you're not going to innovate. So you really want to put people, take them out of their comfort zone, um, get them to rub up against each other, get them to debate, get them to, to work and really thresh, flash, thresh out um, new ideas and argue amongst themselves. That's really where the innovation happens. And it, it goes against normal business practice and normal systems in business because you're trying to to fail, first of all, is generally bad, and in innovation, failing is good. Um, and also, systems are there for exploitation. You want, to, you want things to be efficient and to work, whereas in the space of innovation, you actually want things not to work um, because then you learn from the process. And... Um, it's difficult to have that in traditional business processes because they're just not they're just not built that way. Um, and that's really a, a, one of the reasons probably a lot of clients come to us is because we're the sort of outside chaos factor where we can we can fail. We sort of paid we paid to fail basically, and it doesn't affect their corporate culture of their company um, as such. <laughs> I'll be perfectly honest. I don't really know. Um, we you know this is this is a lot of methodologies which are available, systems thinking methodologies. Um, and as you, as you move down the table, it becomes more about people and teamwork and getting people to understand each other. 
Um, and I can just imagine that that is probably more about working in teams, getting the synergy to a degree. Um, yeah? A small bell. <laughs> a little, little one. Um, yeah, and really to, to, to finish off, the, if you look at the, the space that we play in as a designer, as designers, we deal with a myriad of inputs and really that's where we have to, um, use these tools as much as we can. We've obviously got reliability issues. We've got manufacturing issues. We've got human factor issues, which are a, a big concern. Not a big concern, a big uh, challenge for us. Um, eyesight, arthritis. Um, what's easy, what feels good to you as a tactile feedback on a keyboard might not feel good to the person next to you. Um, so how do you find that, that balance? Um, obviously, there's the hard engineering requirements. Um, what the product must and mustn't do, things that you can test and measure at the end of the day. Um, constraints, typical, money, uh, finance, time, things like that. Um, brand issues, another soft issue, where we have to bring the brand into the product, the color, the look and the feel, the shape, things like that. Um, the marketing side, um, once again, the marketing guys, you know, they would have gone out there and they would have promised their client something. Now, they will always want to be part of the process just to make sure that something is still in the products till the very end. And they won't tell you, but they just want to make sure it's there because they probably don't quite know how to explain what they sold to the client. Um, so they'll be there throughout the entire process. Um, the validity of the product I've mentioned earlier, economics of it, obviously from an economical perspective, it has to be a viable product to make, that it's going to be within budget and the unit cost is going to be on target. Operational environment of the product, when it's out there in the environment, is it actually going to operate? The ingress protection ratings, temperature, drop test, all those sort of things. Um, ethical considerations of the product that you're making. Um, be it its end actual end use or whether it was made in in China in one of the many sweatshops. Um, cultural issues is, is a big issue, is a big thing, especially in South Africa. Um, designing products which are appropriate to the culture. Um, South Africa and Africa, yeah, we 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 we're, fact, we're busy doing a research study for an automotive company in in Japan who are looking at a new generation vehicle for Africa, and they. They're wanting to understand the cultural, the soft cultural issues. So they, they won't go and get, they won't go to a typical marketing company to get all the sort of quantitative data. They're looking for qualitative data. They're looking for um, the dress people wear. Um, they're looking at how people drive. They're looking at um, what people like about cars and don't like about cars. So it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, things like that. No, no. So, so it's all those very soft issues which, which. Which you can't measure, but you'll get through through research methodologies like grounded theory, which is where, where you'll just go out there and the data will just uh, the data will emerge, or the concepts will emerge from the data. Um, so cultural issues are very much um, at play with a lot of the products that we that we do, and it's a, it's a big thing because I think what they do, try and do is they'll try and dump a European product in Africa and it just won't fly. So, but if you change its color, suddenly it would. So it's little, little, very subtle things like that, which um, functional requirements I mentioned before. So basically, the designer sits at all like has take all that in. At the end, has to come up with something which is going to work. It's going to address all those issues, and each one of those bubbles has a stakeholder generally inside it, which has to be addressed. Um, and at the end of the day, we want a product 
which everybody will be proud of, and off they'll go and 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 market it and sell it, etc., etc. And that's the end of my speech. Thank you. <coughs> yes. Yeah. Um, there's one actually graph, the spring tension, you know, the tension of mm, the spring mm. of the table of the Yeah. There's, there's a lot of research which is done up front. Um, there's a lot of observation which is done up front, first of all. Uh, participative observation where you actually are with the person experiencing it, and if they swear and cursing, whatever, you ask them questions, why, how. But very much... Um, you would have not so much. It's not so much a, a focus group, but you'd actually go out into the environment and you'd ask the operator, "What do you think? How do you find? What 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 don't you like about this product?" And he, but the the, the feedback that he'll give you won't be, "Oh, I think three newtons is just too hard." You know, he'll say, "No, this key is just it just doesn't feel right." So you've got to interpret that back into something at the end of the day. Um, so so there's a lot of research, but the research you get is is very qualitative, um, and but but critical to the process. Yeah, generally what we try and do is, is we would go out and gather data until we reach a level of saturation. In other words, we're not really learning anything new. So, so for example, if we go out um, and we find out that there's a problem with a keyboard, and after speaking to 10 people, they're all saying that there's a problem with a the keyboard, then we know, okay, we've got to focus on this. We don't know what the solution is. Um, we, know, we just know it's a problem. Um, and the design process and the innovative process will allow us to uncover that problem and then come up with a solution. And then, and throughout that process, we will obviously include testing with that user to say, yeah, what do you think? Try this. And what do you think? Try this. And so we'll go through that whole innovative, that, that value chain that I was talking about until we come up with a product which ultimately satisfies the needs. Yeah, you, we learn. We, we do a lot of our learning as we prototyping. <laughs> We learn by doing, basically. So we'll build, you know, you, you, you can go as far as you can in a virtual medium on, on a computer, theoretical, yeah, we think this might work. But ultimately, you build something, and then you'll send it out there into the field. And you build it for what you want to learn from that test. So it will either be, if it's environmental, then you would build it mechanically strong to survive the, the, the environment. But if you're building it to understand the soft issues of, of, a, uh, of a user, you'll you'll build a quick prototype and say, what do you think? And, and maybe you want to build something that they give you feedback, you can quickly change it and give it back to them. So you can cycle very quickly. Often you find the, the limitation of the, the, the user's ability to, to actually build something. Sometimes they can't, you know, like making Lego or building boxes might be come to us naturally, but to some people they actually, they, 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 they can visualize it, but they just can't build it with their hands. So that's where the designer comes in as part of like the facilitator to say, is this what you mean? And then is this, you know, keep trying to build it to help them, to help bring out what's in their mind out into something real. Because once it's real, then you can show everybody, and then now everybody's got a pretty good idea of what they're talking about. But very much so, yeah, that, that cycling is, is a critical part of the process. Yeah, basically in, in, in the innovation process, if you if you design something that you know is not is going to work, you don't generally you err on the cautious side, and you maybe not pushing the barrier of of trying something completely blue sky. So when we um, in certain projects where where we have the budget and the time, we'll we'll push the barrier in a direction where we have no idea what the outcome may or may not be. So we go very very explorative, very divergent, and if we fail 
then we know, okay, well, at least we tried. That didn't work, so let, now, but we would have learned something from that process. And so then we would have tried something else. But at least we would have pushed the barrier. And we can, it allows us to push that barrier to a point where um, let's try something which is revolutionary. Um, and if it does work, fantastic. If it doesn't, it's okay. But at least we tried. It's experience. Yeah, it's your learning process of going there. Yeah, I mean, we, there's a lot of. I mean, there's a lot of literature and, and um, uh, videos out there on watching children learn, and children aren't afraid of failure. That's how they learn. You know, they they try something, put your hand on the on the stove and you burn yourself. Ah, I mustn't do that. And it's there's a big debate going going at the moment that through our educational system we are taught not to fail, and because of that we are taught not to. The, byproduct of that is that we taught not to innovate because we are too afraid of exploring um, and it's it's a big problem and a lot of company cultures are like that and that's why a lot of companies they'll they'll exploit they'll come up with they'll, they'll maybe initially explore and innovate and they'll find something and then they'll exploit that to death and but eventually the market would have moved but they wouldn't have actually got that they wouldn't have built that culture to carry on innovating so when the market does move they've got the next thing coming on um, so it's something which we as a consultancy do because that's the type of people we've got. But a lot of our clients really battle to um, to innovate within their their domain. You need the time. Yeah, it is exactly. Um, and and that's what we offer our clients a, a lot of the time is is a sort of protective space where we can explore a bit. We obviously don't explore as much as we like, but at least we we do a lot more exploration than they would have done. Um, because we've got a process that we follow, and we—I mean, it, it, you've got your skunk work type projects, uh, companies which will go off and—and and, I mean, like Motorola, you know, go off and just don't worry. You know, got a year, endless budget, and they came up with—I think it was a sliver phone, which took took them to number two in the world as a cell phone manufacturer. So you've got to have the budgets, and and but more importantly, you've got to have the buy-in from the from the company that this is what needs to be done for us to really change. Yeah. Um, I've got involved in a bit of training, and if you look at training models, if you need to memorize facts, you want to get it right the first time. If you need to memorize a memory activity like bowling or serving, for example, you want to get it right the first time. But if you need to understand something, people learn through failing. They actually learn by uh, trying to solve trying, the problem yeah. and failing. They learn more than by getting it right. They learn mm. more about the parameters. They learn where it breaks. And mm. in that sense, it's cheaper to actually do something and fail um, once or twice. I'm not talking about ruining your company. I'm <laughs> talking about small failures. Yeah. Where you try something, you see what works and what doesn't work. It's better to come out with something revolutionary, which you know is twice as good mm. and half as expensive mm. as the competition than to yeah. do it right first time. Yeah, and it's it's on that point where where systems thinking helps for us because systems thinking gives us a a big picture of how this thing works. So we've already got a good understanding. So we when we go in and explore, we we doing it in a very focused way because we understand already under, have a good understanding of the system. I think if you go in not understanding, you you could cause a lot of havoc. Yeah. I think there as well. It's also it's very important to have a. You say you need to have a culture where it's fine to fail. But there needs to be controls in place which keeps you from wrecking the company. Yeah, yeah. Uh, small failures. That's yeah. That <laughs> yeah. How do you measure? Well, what is a small failure? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, 
customer perception a lot of the time. You know, you you can develop a product which you feel meets everybody's requirements. It's got the latest technology. It's cheap. It it's the most useful thing in your mind, but it's perhaps not marketed right or um, the, the 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 user just doesn't take take it up because they see it as a gimmick or they just they just look at it same thing and they don't really think they need it or they've changed their minds because something else has moved on. So a lot of the time we find that a product will fail because not because the the te- the technology in the product is is wrong. It's just because once it's got a, perhaps the marketing of of that product and the and those are all the soft issues just perhaps hasn't been done right. Um, you know, it could be priced slightly wrong. It could be at the wrong part of the shelf in the shop. Um, it could have the wrong color on the box. Um, you know, if you if you walk into Macro and you look at kettles, I mean, there's millions of kettles. They all do the same thing. They all heat water. And, in fact, the technology in them it all comes from the same company called Strix. So they all use the same element. Um, but why do you buy that one and not that one? You know, it's that because you like this, this, this shape, that curve, and it's those really soft issues. Um, and we find a lot of times the products fail because of that, because you just don't hit that, that mark. Um, I think Apple have done quite well, um, although you know, the people are debating that they've, they've gone the real simplistic route, but people are debating that you know, eventually that's going to become boring. You know, people are going to want something different. Um, the automotive industry is, is really, if you, want, if you want to see trends in design and styling, you look at the automotive industry because they're the ones leading it. You know, you look at the new um, BMWs and Audis and Mercedes, much sharper lines, um, whereas five years ago everything was much softer. So you'll see products coming out with much sharper lines now. Um, and I, I truly believe it's those softer issues which can make or break a product. Um, technology is people don't care about the technology in it they just want something which makes them feel good and makes them feel important and that sort of thing yeah. could be the, 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 the font they use in their name it's just too or the color yeah yeah, yeah. and it could be the Best product out there. We were approached by, um, I think it's Roytech up in Pretoria to sex up a gun. Are you serious? Yeah. Uh, in Singapore, the civil defense yeah. tracks all hazardous cargo. And the idea is that uh, all Singaporean um, hazardous cargo vehicles have uh, vehicle tracking. Mm. The product I designed is one with rare earth magnets, whereas um, vehicles come over the, over the border, you could mount this thing within uh, three seconds. Uh, it would stay mounted. You'd know if somebody tampers with it, it would work mm. for a couple of days, and I'll just quickly remove it when it uh, goes back over the border again. And there was a lot of human factors in that. It was about quick deployment. It was about sort of COVID, sort of put it on and walk away. And, very, and very yeah. complex. And that's the easy part, the behind the scenes part, you know, the, like where, you, where you charge the things, where you see whether which ones are working, which aren't, mm. monitor battery status, all those things. That was the complex thing. Yeah, yeah.
is that the human factors in terms of how the client um, interfaces with the product in the end, whether it's done on a small scale or larger scale, I, I think it's, it's the last thing that is considered. <laughs> it's yeah. not functional, like, you know, this button needs to put this thing on and yeah. things happen, but it's, it's done more from a functional perspective than from an economic side. I think one yeah. of the engineers in the military development project says once, mm -hmm. saying that if a soldier can do something with the technology or the equipment you give him, he will. And and that becomes a very interesting human design for human use mm. in, in yeah. the military environment. Yeah, I think the simplicity, which people assume that it was just a plant, but you know, I don't know. Yeah. How do you how do you sort of document that, or do you document that? Do you model it? Do you do you write specs? Do you how do you mm. how, how do you handle sort of gathering all of this information about what your user needs? Yeah, we we build scenarios um, of an experience that a user might want to have with this product. Um, there's there's obviously user requirements from from a, a human interaction perspective, and then out of that will come sort of product requirement. Um, which is what the designers often need to to do the detail, but the user experience is always the key. It's 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 how that person is going to interface with this product. Um, that's generally our starting point because that that for us is the most important. You know, it's 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 like those kettles in macro. You know, why do you go and grab this one first? It's not because you want to understand the technology in it. It's something else. It's the experience of it's the way that handle feels. Um, it's the way it balances when you pick it up. Um, and that's for us, for us that's the user requirement. Yeah. Is that something that grows through development or is it something that you do once or cut it off and say yes the answer and now I'm going to do engineering you, 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 You'll pick it up as a, if, if it's a key factor in the design that's, um, it'll always be top of mind. The user requirements are always top of mind throughout the process because you can very quickly lose them as you get stuck into the detail and before you know it you land up with a product at the end of the day which is not what you wanted because the technology has driven it to a certain, a certain direction. So it, it's, it's important to always keep going back to that. Um, and at each gate that we go through, we would just check, are we still, are those soft issues still still with us? Um, because the soft issues are very, they, 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 they're hard to define, but they're also very easy to lose through the process because the technology does... You know, the production, limitations on production can strip out half the soft issues straight away because you just can't build the product like that. You can't, we can't assemble it like we wanted to assemble it. Um, so the designer will always be there pushing, pushing the barrier to make sure that those soft issues remain. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've got, there's, there's two types of, there's two types of innovation that, that, that's, People use it. One is called the sort of design thinking process, which is all about participation, and you work with the end user to try and understand what they need. And then you've got what they call design-driven innovation, which is basically you, you changing meaning. So you're creating something that the user doesn't even know he wants. Um, sort of a bit like Apple, Google do that as well. Um, much higher risk because you might come up with something that nobody likes, but there you really do push the barrier. Um, and your assumption is that the user doesn't know what he wants, and you're now going to unveil this thing which is going to change his life. Um, but very risky. <laughs> but very successful if you get it right. I think often the technicians 
find this on the application development side. If I go to development side, I want to see this. Ah, can't be done. Yeah, exactly. By really good techniques, I can say, you know what? There's a couple of good developers. If you struggle with something, ask that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can do it, yeah. 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 But he doesn't want to look bad against the other. Yeah. Guy. And suddenly, thing that he argues for his good face, he can't do one day. Next day, he's done. Yeah. He spends right through life. He doesn't yeah. need to go and ask the other guy. Yeah. Just yeah. Works really well. <laughs> <laughs> I think something you mentioned right from the beginning is that uh, it's actually going to do a lot with company culture as well, or how you approach your the problem yeah. when you solve it. So I think that has a huge impact on how things get done. Exactly. That's where that abductive thinking comes in. It says, let's, it can be done. Let's try it out. You know, let's not, let's not stifle this creativi- creativity. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great, thank you. Thanks a lot.